Welcome back to another episode of Unscripted Exchanges. Uh, I'm excited, excited, excited to be here today. We've got a, uh, if you guys are watching this, you're listening, you'll see that we have a, a guest on. Uh, Chris Sense, I believe, is one of the most electrifying guests we've had on this show to date. He is a serial entrepreneur. He is a family man. Uh, he's got his hands on a little bit of everything. I met Chris down at the Miami uh, Red Hawk Venture Pitch Competition. I think that's what it was called, something like that. that Miami University. Uh, he is a previous Red Hawk, Red Hawks for life, I think is what you guys would say. But Chris, super excited to have you on here. Excited to kind of pick your brain about your experience as an entrepreneur. Uh, maybe hear about some of the ventures that you're working on. If you could share some of that stuff. I know you had a something new that you've been working on and kind of just, you know, get to know you a little bit more. Absolutely. I appreciate it. I uh, appreciate y'all having me on. Love the professional studio background you got there. And it was really cool to meet you at that uh, venture pitch competition. I thought that was, I, I, I love going back to, uh, to Miami, as you said, Miami for life um, and, and giving back. And I mean, I don't know if I was nearly as good as those, I don't know, I, I say kids, but I think young adults is more appropriate mm -hmm. that we saw that uh, that night. Hopefully they represented us well. Did, did you have a good time there? Oh, man. I I mean, I love that stuff. Like, I, I'm a big, I mean, I love people. I love getting to know and networking. And, you know, my my experience as an entrepreneur and, and knowing the struggles I dealt with, going and being able to do something like that where you not only get to like see what the next generation is doing and where their heads are at, but you get to meet people and, and get and provide feedback. Oh man. I, I loved it. I mean, I love that. I, I, if I had more time, I'd sign up for every single one of those that I could, um, to go out and mentor and stuff. Uh, funny enough, one of the, one of the companies that was there is actually the company that won is doing an accelerator here in Cincinnati. And I've actually met with them a few times just to give them some like, some like mentorship and, and some ideas on how they can approach things And yeah, super rewarding. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little afraid the company that one had already been recruited into firms that were much too big and high paying jobs to, to uh, keep them in the entrepreneurial space. So I'm, I'm glad to hear they, they kept going. Oh, there, um, there's good. Yeah, go ahead. You go first. <laughs> this is a, this is a standoff <laughs> and I'm not going. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm just saying, um, you know, they, they, they didn't have anything like that. Uh, you know, when I was, when I was there, I don't think entrepreneurialism was, was nearly as popular of a thing. Um, but I can imagine, I mean, there are so many great entrepreneurs have come out of school that, um, you know, the more that you can, uh, support them and, and get them access to, to mentors like yourself and, and communities. I mean, the sky's the limit, uh, with, with what these, young adults can do tons of opportunities out there these days it's just taking advantage of those and you know what you put in is uh typically which what, what you get out uh cole i know you kind of were just skimming the the surface here for our, our listeners chris if you don't mind can you kind of just uh give us a little bit more background in terms of kind of your journey and kind of where you are now i mean it sounds like you're you're a jack of all trades you've been uh invested in a lot of different things but if you don't mind just sharing a little bit more about your story that would be awesome yeah certainly so it started at miami um it's a good segue actually is that 
you know, I, I started um, my first company really selling products at, at Miami uh, and then from my dorm uh, online. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't know, you know, at the time, didn't really consider it a business, just thought of it as a hustle. Mm-hmm. Uh, made decent money selling, uh, at first I was buying things in bulk yep. on eBay and selling them offline. And then uh, that turned into having a good account finding a product, which is beauty products, um, high-end mm. high beauty products that you find in spas, uh, and then selling those online and, and being, a, you know, this was, this was um, early 2000s. So in the top 1% of sellers on eBay, um, actually helping them craft the products uh, in feedback and, um, you know, grew that, grew that throughout school. And it, it was one of those things where, like I was saying, the, the, um, you know, we, we didn't really think of it as a, a business. I had a business partner and we didn't really go through what those those kids were doing at Miami when they're doing this pitch competition. We were just like trial and error, figure it out. At the time, we were, you know, running up credit cards to buy our inventory and storing it. There's no real drop ship options. Um, websites were super expensive, but it was an amazing journey. It ended up being wildly successful. Um, sold that company in uh within a year of graduation because again i didn't consider it like a a startup you know there was no there was no aspiring to be like a big exit at the time you know the dot-com bubble had burst when i was in high school and by the time i was in college it was like yeah i i didn't want to bartend or work in food service so i just had this online thing that happened to make you know six plus figures a month you're like okay you know it's it's like whatever it's cool um but it's it's so funny looking back and people like yeah you, you, you had a startup and you're doing this you're like, oh, yeah, I wish I would have thought about that at the time. You know, like you didn't so, think it, you didn't think of it that way. You just were like, hey, I don't want to. It, it, it was out of necessity. It sounds like, you're like hey, I don't want to I don't want to be a bartender. I don't want to work in a restaurant. I need to make money. I need I need some I need I need beer money. I need I need, I need party <laughs> money, but I don't want to do this. So you're like, ah, yeah, like this sounds like a good idea. You just and it's just funny. I, I feel like there's a correlation between that and a lot of. A lot of successes in life, when you're in them, you're not necessarily thinking about, oh, this is this. Like, oh, if I were to go back and put a label on it, like I was an entrepreneur. But at the time, you're not going, man, look at me with my startup. You're just like, we're all making some money. Like, that's what <laughs> that's my hustle. Absolutely. So, you know, like when I travel abroad, shut it down for months, you know, like things like that. You're like, whatever. It's it's all good. Um, but it gave me such a leg up in the digital world. So I graduated in uh, seven oh seven, and you think about the times I had experience uh, with SEO optim- optimization of, of listings and, and getting search traffic of um, the early early efforts on paid advertising. I mean, this is like the early days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, social media wasn't a thing. Like it's so crazy to think about. But in uh, two thousand seven, corporations still couldn't get on Facebook. Mm. Um, so you just had this big leg up and going into the, the working world. Um, I, I wouldn't go to ad agencies. I, I had a, uh, finance, um, major at first and I fell in love with marketing. I got a great program at Miami and the ad agency, uh, game was just like this dream job. I wanted to travel the world, you know, uh, have really cool, diverse clients and, and get to do all this uh, neat stuff. And we were doing this. We had a market research agency is where I went. We were traveling and, you know, they spent a ton of money on this market research to have us go out and, you know, uh, observe folks in stores, talk to executives, kind of understand your business better than you know it. And my whole thing was, 
I could get you this information online way more effectively. And when, when you interview someone or you do, um, you know, group studies, they're automatically going to, to bias the results. There's only so much you can do. If I sit you down and say, you know, what's your favorite, whatever, to, you, you like Apple computers, tell me what you like about them. Um, you're going to, you're going to be on guard, right. but people were expressing themselves online. And so I put my hand up and said, Hey, can I just create this thing? And I'll pull all the data that we're getting offline and spending months. I mean, we're, we're traveling. We go on these like, uh, you know, 45 day trips over city to city to city, uh, for a single client. Um, I was like, I can do that in, in, in a, you know, hours pull that much data in from all these different types of customers, uh, set up listening po posts, actually get them authentically talking about your brand. And that was pretty revolutionary in 2007, 2008, nothing really existed like that. So it was, um, it was really neat to start kind of taking these skills that I learned by, by hustling. I sold that company that, that I started. That was an eBay company. We had somebody come in off our cash. We're like, oh my gosh, somebody will give us this much money. This is <laughs> right. Like, like, yeah, done. Is there an official, <laughs> yeah. sorry to, to cut in here, but is there like an official yeah. name for that these days? Like I hear people saying like, I've got a, a company or a business run through eBay or Amazon. Is there like a fancy term that's thrown out there these days? Do you know? And if not, no worries. No, like, I mean, just, just sellers. I mean, you know, a lot of the e-commerce communities are folks who are selling those marketplaces. We wanted to get off of eBay. Uh, at the time, the investment in an e-commerce site was great enough. Mm -hmm. It just didn't make sense. Yep. Um, and that was part of the reason we sold. It's like, do I want to take, it was, I think, $200,000, $250,000 to make my own e-commerce site mm -hmm. um, and, and pull these people off? You'll get repeat sales. Like, we had a good reputation. Um, or do I just take the money and run and right. take that, take that cash and run, right? Take it, um, take it and run. Move on to the next project. Absolutely. So, so, so the journey, you know, that was a, a huge leg up being in the digital space, um, just got me in the door and, um, whether it was, you know, got involved in a couple more startups over the years, got through, um, both internal and agency side of things, um, big home service provider company up here, in the downturn 2008, I was actually uh, doing market research project as part of that agency. And, uh, you know, the market collapsed. Mm. And the first thing to go is market research. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I actually went in uh, to a corporate environment, which was super interesting, found that traditional corporate environment, you know, fit wise, I like to move fast, I like to get things done. Um, and it was awesome, the impact that I could have. But you know, you, you, all of a sudden you're, you're done. Like at, at some point you're like, I want to help more, but I have to like navigate all these things to do. Right. So, they, they try um, to put like uh they try to put walls around you, right? They're like, okay, you can stay within this and maybe you can flex out a little bit, but it sounds like they kind of tried to put like guardrails around it. Like, okay. And you're like, well, okay. We hit the, I hit the edge of this. Let's move on to the next thing. Yeah. I mean, I was young and cocky. So I came <laughs> in, we we're doing 20 million a year online, uh, through through this website they had and i got them to 135 plus in the first 12 months uh wow. taking over their website Damn. and so it was just like hey that's the start here's how we're going to get to the billion mm -hmm. and they're like what the what are you talking you're crazy <laughs> like you're in and, and they, they really thought it was crazy i mean they call it the internet's plural so just to give you an idea of you know it's like let's let's calm down over there right um 
you know, they, they, traditionally, this is a company, their biggest company in their space. Um, they did things their way and have been so successful over the years to go crazy. Uh, it, it was too aggressive. And, and I don't blame them. They were probably right to take that pace. And that's why they're still around is they never trusted the guys like me who came in. Mm-hmm. It's just if they would have, they would have done well with this one. But probably ignoring the ones in the past and in the future will keep you on that steady pace, right? There's probably one out of ten comes through is is the right way to go. But um, but yeah, it's 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 been a uh, uh, you know a neat ride doing that. And then I got more senior kind of managerial positions. Um, started a company that can't talk a ton about right now. Unfortunately, I'd love to tell you guys more about this company that I just got out of because uh, they're they may or may not be um, involved in. Uh, another acquisition talk. So I can't, uh, you can look at LinkedIn and understand exactly who it is. But, um, you know, I, I started a company in 2016, had uh, had success, grew that uh, a ton. It was in the e-commerce space, uh, in the marketplace space. Um, and, and I saw, I mean, the thesis there was that everyone, uh, if you want to succeed online, selling products uh, and be a category king, you need to have a marketplace. So you, you need to sell first-party products, the products you sell, and, and third-party products, so products someone else sells. And I needed a software to do that. It's actually a problem that I had. And um, I created the software to do that. It took off, and yeah, it was it was really cool. What a ride um, that was. But I got out of that about nine months ago. So probably, Cole, when you and I met each you other were telling summer, me about that. Yeah. just getting out of that, yeah. You were telling um, about that. Good. I'm, I'm sadly, I was like hoping we could dive into that a bit, but we won't, we won't, we won't. I, I, I can tease it. Um, it, it was, it was a great ride. It actually took off in a, in the cannabis accessory space of all mm. places. We started in t-shirts and jewelry and, you know, like so many startups do, you come up with a, uh, you, you, you start, you put it out in the market and you grow and grow and grow and then you, you tweak it and pivot and then you find this one vein that has so much you know coal in it or whatever that it, you know it, it takes you to the roof so uh and that for us was cannabis accessories of all things um so that that was a a, a cool software startup and i'm still involved i'm still on the board um but i do have another one i'm i'm kicking off i'd love to tell you guys about i haven't really announced it to the world so i'm i'm happy to tell you what my next well, my next foray is if you're interested. Let's hear it. Yeah, man. Dive on in. <laughs> Don't hold back. <laughs> you know, like, uh, Chris, you knew we hit it off. I, I could tell how passionate Chris was, Hayden, when I met him. We started talking, and I'm just like, dude. I, I think in the first five minutes I was talking to you, I was like, I got a podcast. You got to come on the podcast. I was like, dude. he's like, all right. I was like, let's get it set up. I think I texted you like a day after we met. I'm like, hey, when are we getting you on here? Hell yeah. Oh, I was, I was listening to your podcast hearing about the uh, the 150 yard iron sight. Oh, do you uh, love that one? Yeah. That was wild. Are you a hunter? That was wild. No, I, I, I just not, I don't have the patience that, that, uh, Cole has to go out there in the cold mornings. And you know what sit I sit around, you know, what I, every time I tell somebody I'm like, hunt, they're just like, what? They're like, you hunt. They're like, you probably, I don't see how you can sit still for that long. I'm like, well, that's why, you know, I put a headphone in. I'll play. Dude. I'm like, I'm such a go, 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 go that when I do get the chance to do that, like I, it's, you know, I like to move and hunt too. I mean. I can only stay in one spot for so long for I'm like, all right, there's no, there's no deer coming around here. Let's move on. Chris, before you dive yeah. into your <clears throat> latest venture, want to kind of take yeah. a step back and maybe get your uh, perspective on, well, one, 
what is rewarding about starting a or an e-commerce an e business? And then part two to that is for any aspiring entrepreneur, doesn't matter if you're young, old, what advice would you give to them if they wanted to start an e-commerce business? Yeah, with an e-commerce e in particular, I think it's um, a fascinating place that you can, you can win or lose quickly mm. um, without significant investment. So it's opened up the world to the idea that, you know, if you want to start a retail store, it used to be a, obviously a significant investment from uh, people to space to inventory. Yep. Um, you can really fake it till you make it now. And it's amazing how quickly you can catch fire uh, with, with e-commerce. I mean, we, we have, uh, we've had things, I, I was at a, a company that, that specialized in t-shirts. I mean, really it was just t-shirt designed t-shirts at 150 employees. Um, and it was a big t-shirt marketplace, but we'd see these things where, um, there was a shirt to give you an example, uh, that was just a, a fun kind of playful thing on the nene back mm -hmm. in the day it was sip <laughs> oh. chardonnay yeah yeah um so they said you know sip chardonnay and the nene whatever put on a shirt and uh and sell it so whatever it sold a little bit and we had a scrap bin where if there was a misprint or anything we'd throw it and then employees would go around and get them so one of my marketing employees is on a, a smoke break and this this guy just looks cooler than any of us will ever look like just <laughs> just amazing tattoos and his hair just He's like a stylish guy and it's natural. He's not, he's like effortless style. Right. And so he's just sitting there. And one of the other marketing employees is like, this looks good. He takes a picture and he uploads it on, on some random Reddit thread. Front page Reddit thing explodes. Next thing you know, Ellen's got the shirt. She made a song shipping Chardonnay. You've got all these big like TV personalities and, and celebrities wearing this t-shirt. like, these things can take off. So e-commerce, you can do that, yeah. especially with social media being this um, flywheel that it can get spun up very quickly. Mm -hmm. now, it can go away just as quick. Um, but those those types of things, I think, get folks really addicted to it because you you if you ever hit those rides, they're like nothing else. I mean, you're just like, okay, we're at capacity. Like all of a sudden we have so many orders coming in that we have to now figure out uh, a good problem, which is, how do, how, I how do we fill orders right. more efficiently? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's the, the magic of e-commerce. I, I do think that, um, you know, if I were talking to kind of the biggest players in the retail space, these big brands, I think they're probably leaving some stuff on the table with the physical world now. Like, I think everyone's adjusted so much that some of these big brands are so worried about digital, they forget that still 80 plus percent of retail is physical. Mm. And I think the magic is going to be the folks that can um, navigate the the melding of those two worlds. How do you omni-channel? Like, I think is what person. they call it. It's, it that's, is. Um, it's, that's, that's that's literally the fancy buzzword. That's what I. It's like so. It I do is, but, what but I do. And, yeah, what I do on like a daily basis where I work and what I do now is focus on the physical side of things. So it's all about it's omni-channel marketing is what it is. So it's all about how do you tie your website presence, your social media presence, your digital marketing presence into something that's in the real world, right? That's that's what we focus on. So we take the, you know, we do a lot of experiential marketing where it's like an experience space or it's a theme space. Um, but like you're spot on, I think. And I think a lot of brands, yeah, like you said, have shifted so heavily to the, the social media and influencer part of it that 
they start they started you know and and even before COVID hit, they started taking all their marketing and advertising budgets and saying, hey, let's push it all onto this, right? Let's go pay influencers. Let's let's do uh you know do these little reels and this and that. And then now they're starting to go, oh, we spent so much money on that, but we're still missing that. You know, we just did a poll of fifty thousand Americans aged twenty five to forty five, and ninety percent of them said they'd still like to see our product in store before they purchase. They've overcompensated. Yeah, they've totally yep. overcompensated. Yep. And as you know, if you put a physical presence in, you're you might not sell a ton in that mm-hmm. space necessarily, but your online sales within a vicinity of that. And depending on on where you are, will will go up. I mean, it's they're, they're very related. I'm people are still physical, and I, I feel, I feel like, uh, you know, the more you can do the the physical experience, that's what people are looking for. And you don't want the old type of physical experience, like load the shelves with as much junk as you can it's not and get that. people through. It has to be truly experiential, and those things need to meld together. Um, I do like. I mean, omni-channel is interesting. I just feel like it's been used for like 15 years and it's lost all taste because they, you know, be, I've got an omni-channel solution. You know, everyone's saying that. I'm like, yeah. It's, the, right, exp- it's cool. the, like you said, it's the experience. It's the, how do yep. we get somebody, you know, and it's not a one-to-one ratio anymore. It used to be like, get somebody in and see how many people walk through and actually we sell a product, right? That's what re- the old retail model truly was. Walk How many, five people walk in the door, I sold three people. All right. So that means my, you know, I have a 60%, you know, close rate, so to speak. Now it's five people walk in, five people, you know, three people buy something. What did those other two people do? Did they go home and buy on your online store? How much time did they expend in the area? Right. Did they work? Like there's so many more data points. And like even the biggest retailers, I, I worked with one um down in texas they're actually owned by warren buffett called nebraska furniture mart and they i mean they're massive they're huge they got you know their their showrooms are like six hundred thousand square foot and they're i mean they're they're unbelievable and i was i was talking to them this past week and it was just interesting hearing about like how much you know they're big on inventory and selling stuff but their e-commerce business like they're they want foot traffic in not just to leave with products but because it builds the brand equity. So people get in, they can go, you know, they own the entire development, like 500 acres down in Dallas. And they've got a cinema, they've got a, a restaurant, they got this wow. and that. And, and they're not making any money. Like, we don't, we're not make, trying to make any money. We're trying to create an experience for people to get in here and then want to trust our brand, whether they're buying online or in store, which I thought was absolutely genius. Like they're like, well, we're not worried about that. We're just trying to keep the seven to eight million people that come into our, come onto our campus, buying stuff and coming in. Yep. Crazy. Yeah, you, I mean, you know how much important, more expensive it is to get them at the top of the funnel. I mean, if they come straight to your site to look for furniture, you're you're skipping out on so much expense. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's absolutely crucial. Do you have any thoughts on hearing what Cole was just mentioning there, and you know? any type of experience that these companies are trying to establish for their customers. I think another word that gets overused and I work for Kroger today in the technology uh, department and a lot of stuff, and I'm not going to dive any deeper than this. We want to be quote unquote personalized for every single customer. And I think that's a fine line, but kind of want to get maybe your perspective or thoughts on what it means to have personalized experiences and whether or not, you know, those are healthy strategies. I I guess it's, uh, 
I can probably almost answer my own question, but want to maybe just get your honest thoughts on what it means to have a personalized experience or personalized product, et cetera. Yeah, I think there's, I think personalization goes kind of, uh, it can, it goes to an extent and it yeah. can be helpful, but it can be too, too far as well, right? Yeah. Like if, if you, if somebody's only buying vegan products from Kroger, do you, do you have to waste time throwing steak ads at them? No, but you don't necessarily have to dive into to the very particular, you know, I, I think it's more category personalization than hyper hyper specific. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that, I think that goes all the way through marketing. Like there's a dream all of us marketers have ever had of like, I want to know everyone about everything about every person that's ever walked in my store and, and at some point it's just like, there's just a lot of data yep. and, and there's not a lot we can figure out with that data. Yep. Um, I, I think that there's a, a future and this is something I've played around with a couple of times and I don't have a, um, if, if you guys or any of your listeners want to pursue this, um, you guys can reach out to me after the show, but there's this idea that, um, can you have a never ending, uh, interaction with your, with your clients where you're always, it's like a never ending cart. So we have the never ending aisle online, which is like the Amazon, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh, you extend the aisle. Can you extend the transaction a similar way where you say, you know, Kroger does this, you, you buy something from Kroger and then they send you coupons for something else, but could they entice you just like they would online on a, in a physical store to buy more, but not necessarily in that transaction, like it's going to be sent to your home. And then that leads to more, ongoing transactions where it's almost like breadcrumbs of, of micro transactions in between major transactions. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect for every retailer, but I think there's, there's something there where you can meld these worlds and say, let's take some best practices of performance marketing online mm-hmm. and, and bring that offline. Yeah. Um, and I think there's just some fascinating uh, things that can be done in that space. And I, I've, I've jammed with that with with plenty of folks many times, but we never never pursued any anything real. Absolutely, yeah. I, I my my brain's spinning a million miles an hour here, and all of that. I, I think one thing that that comes to mind, and I'm already solutioning, is some type of subscribe and save um, feature where customers basically it's kind of autopilot, but. You know they have their big bulk purchases, whether it's the the grocery space or the the retail space. I'll use Amazon for example. That way, I can talk in more detail. Cole's got two kids. He needs, let's say, diapers every so often. Instead of Cole having to spend the time actually going and building out that cart continuously, he can subscribe for a set of Pampers. You know, every three weeks or whatever the cadence needs to be, like things like that. Yeah is another way to get customers to continuously, you know, shop your products outside of the traditional way that's, that they want to shop with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I even think like, uh, you think about a Kroger and, and their strengths, right? Um, it's not necessarily having a DC that could ship e-commerce goods like an Amazon, but are there ways that they could, um, they could sit there and say, Hey, when Cole's checking out mm-hmm. at his local Kroger, we have a, a local company in Cincinnati or Northern Kentucky that we're partnering with that might have an interesting product for him. That's not traditional Kroger product. Yeah. Um, hey, you get, you, you get, Hey, you get a special offer Cole, as you're checking out uh, 10 bucks today, you get to try this product. It'll be shipped home. Th- those types of things where then you can start to be integrated in the community in, in, in the product cycle and you can get this transaction and people like to get products sent to them. 
and then it doesn't stress Kroger's uh, logistics, which they don't need. It, Kroger doesn't need to be good at at shipping home products. Like that's that's something they shouldn't necessarily worry about right now. But they could extend and have that functionality with third party partners and uh, and get those transactions and just make pure profit off of them. Um, those yeah. are. Absolutely. I, I love you sharing <laughs> that for sure. Now on one, 1000%. Cole, it looked like you're about to no, dive in I with something. Smiling, <laughs> I knew when you said that I wanted to see Hayden's reaction because he's very much like he could read them like a book sometimes. And I'm like, look at him. I'm like, would he really like something? He gets this big grin on his face. And like, I know, like, oh yeah. I mean, I'm always smiling. So I have to read. Well, you know, that. if Cole's hitting it off with someone, I know that I'm going to get along with them too. So, you know, I'm immersing myself. So uh, I wanted to I wanted to give Chris because I know that his the the venture you're working on right now is it's pretty neat it's pretty cool I mean you told me a little bit about it when we met yeah. but I'd love to give you the opportunity to to kind of you know walk us through like what are you working on like what's the next what's this venture that you're talking about Yeah, totally different. I'm talking about e-commerce and digital and and it's awesome and it's my background and I love it, but trying to get in the physical world a little bit. So we are setting about uh, building a platform with for autonomous construction. We want to build homes with essentially what you call a giant 3D printer. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Tell us more. Just like, let, tell, you, let you absorb that a little bit. Tell me more. <laughs> like, how, so, so first question is, you know, what, what steps do you have to take and, and, and feel free to share or not share. But, you know, my, my first thing goes to the manufacturing side. I'm saying, hey, you know, I know there's three, there's different levels of 3D printing and technology out there, but I'm assuming you, you're, you're 3D printing individual pieces. And then, like, what's the next step? Are you having it? Is it all being assembled? In, like, like, is this is similar? It prefab or yeah. are you building from beginning to end? Like, and again, like Cole said, just say, hey, yeah. I'm passing on answering that and we'll, we'll keep moving. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever's proprietary. You don't have to touch. Oh no, I'm pumped up. We're putting this out there. Um, we are, we're building on site so you can prefab. Um, there's a lot of cool things you can do in that space. It's a, it, doing that's about a 30% increase in productivity. Mm. Uh, you can build anything from a trailer to, to whole homes in a house and, and ship them in parts or in a hole. Um, but, but you're going to run into the same issues that, that houses run into today. So, we have designed a machine. Uh, I have a team of some of the best engineers in the world. These are the folks who have designed the best-selling cars uh, on the planet. Uh, they are the folks that all the big companies go to when they have a significant engineering problem, and they love the vision. So they are equity partners of mine. So it's really exciting. Um, but we we looked at the the problem and we talked to everything from. Uh, from builders and, and developers to architects um, and, and even futurists, like, hey, what, what does the future look like? And, um, you know, the, the, the problem with construction today, it's, everything's inside of a box, first of all. So there's a lot of problems with construction. There, there's not enough of it. We, we can't build quickly enough, but you don't see anything built outside the box. And, and we need to be able to design a new generation of housing that j just thinks about things differently. Mm -hmm. Um, this is going to be like the Tesla to cars, right? So 15 years ago, you got behind the wheel of a Tesla and you felt like you were in the future. Like it was just such a different experience. Looked different, um, drove different. Every, right. Everything was different about it. hundred percent. It was so weird. I mean, I remember I test drove one for the first time. I'm like, I, I can't do it. Like I wasn't ready. <laughs> it stops. Like, why does it stop? I don't, I, I have to hit the brake. I don't trust it, you know? 
and nowadays that's just you know it's table stakes for for vehicles um so the, to our homes we'll print we'll actually print homes on site um using concrete like material um the, the the convergence of trends is amazing so you know you have robotics and 3d printing you have material technology that's coming out of these uh out of academia is next level or vitruvian's named after vitruvius who wrote the original book on architecture vitruvian's uh, the vitruvian, name by the way yeah is it, uh, the company's name okay. yeah right. so the vitruvian man is the naked guy leonardo da vinci uh, yeah. uh drew but i mean it's named after vitruvius we're, they're bringing back these material technologies like Roman concrete, which is a geopolymer, uh, things that can last thousands of years. You know, modern materials generally don't last that long. Um, things that are very environmentally friendly, like hempcrete that you can grow, um, battery technology built into concrete. Imagine if the walls of your house could store energy. How, what, what the possibilities would be. Right. Um, in, in, I mean, it's endless. It's 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 wild, and this stuff can't come to market um, unless unless there's a, a conduit, you know, a physical machine that can do this. Um, so it's uh, it's an amazing space. We've designed something. It took us a while to design. We went through. We were 100 percent sure we had the right direction, and then uh, we talked to MIT uh, engineers of all folks, and they're smart. <laughs> like, nope, <laughs> scrap it. They're like, that's exactly what we thought of. 15 years ago and here's why that doesn't work we're like ah all right so it's we've iterated um but it's been it's been really cool so we're excited we we have the final solution um drawn up we're going to go to market in the next 30 days or so uh and start raising money to to build that solution and we already have demand there's already um three projects that are interested in trying to build with our technology we just need to build the uh the, well, the actual unit for well that's first. that's exciting too because you know like one of the things i think a lot of entrepreneurs and we had so our last guest actually we had on here I and mean, all of all of what you're saying so you just hit something that was interesting so scott jacobs we had on a couple weeks ago yeah, queen city queen city yeah he was on the i listened show. to that one Did yeah you, yeah <laughs> well you heard one of the things he said with a lot of entrepreneurs right well you well you're seasoned but a lot of entrepreneurs that aren't seasoned haven't done it like they, they missed the boat on talking to like potential clients, doing that homework up front. You got to make sure you're actually solving a business. Yeah, problem. yeah. Yeah. So just like hearing that like reiterates and, and for our listeners that are, are either you know, longtime entrepreneurs, they'll nod their head like, oh, that's, that's, that's right. Or, or future entrepreneurs, we go, oh, like, you know, here's a, here's a, here's a case study of somebody that you wanted to move fast, but you also understand that like you have to check off boxes. Like there's some things that you can move really quick. And there's some things that you just have to like, you know, it might take you a couple of weeks, it might take you a month. Like you just have to like get through those, those lulls. Cause any entrepreneur is like, I want to go a hundred miles an hour all the time. Like that's just, that's just like how you are. And you gotta, so I just, I like that you pointed that out. Um, one of the things I thought was kind of interesting about what you were saying, you mentioned Roman concrete. So probably about a month and a half ago, I read an article about, which I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in like, you know, how we can use like draw off of past, especially the Romans, like their stuff lasted for, and it's still around today for thousands and thousands of years. Meanwhile, yep. we build, you know, a house here and after, you know, 50 to 60 years, you know, it's going downhill, right? Like all of a sudden it's, you know, it's starting to cave, you know, we've got cracks in the foundation. We've got all this stuff. And what I thought was super interesting was, and maybe you could shed some light on this. What I read 
is that the the cement that they used to make, they had some sort of lime or something in it, and it was actually able to self-heal. So when water would leak into it, it would actually correct itself so that you never had to worry about cracking or stuff like that. Am I, am I right? Is that what that is? You're, you're spot on. Forever they thought it was a mistake. Yes. They, they thought it was a mistake. Then they looked at it. They, they, they thought that the process that they were heating it wrong mm-hmm. and they, they realized, I mean, you go to Greece, right? You go to Athens and you look at ruins, they're pebbles on hills. You're like, what is this? And then you, you go to Rome and I, you know, Greek, uh, Greek history is a little longer, but you're, you're looking at stuff in Rome. And you're like, why does this stuff look like you can walk through it? You mm-hmm. know, like you're actually going into it. Um, you're going into thousand, 2000 year old structures. Um, so they, they did find that on the molecular level, um, they have these deposits that as the as the water as cracks form water goes into it instead of expanding the cracks they'll actually take these um, lime calcium you know deposits and those things will fill in it's uh, and and redry it's 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 self healing it's yeah. self healing so-, yeah, so so this morning I was uh, <laughs> I know you guys uh, shu shu sugiban is a uh, charring wood it's a Japanese technique okay, uh, yeah. to seal wood in a natural way. So, you know, we, we're doing planter beds and uh, you, you, you know, you don't use treated wood because it can seep into the beds and we're growing vegetables. Um, so we were looking for natural ways. And this is an ancient Japanese method. Interesting thing. I was reading Vitruvius's book, the, the, the 10 books of architecture he wrote, De Architectura. And, uh, and he talks about the Romans did this too. You char wood. And, and to your point, Cole, these ancient techniques coming back and you're like, you can char wood and it treats it and you can put that wood in the ground. It won't rot. It'll last 80 to 100 years. It's not. I mean, it's just these these things that are like, oh, we don't have to just dip stuff in chemicals. I don't know if you've um, seen how they treat boards, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. those green boards that you get for like a deck. It's just sitting in chemicals. You're like, I don't, that's probably not as good as something like fire on wood, you totally. know, that just chars it well so, you're getting me a, it's you, cool we could get a whole conversation i could talk for hours about on this. well what i was thinking is like <laughs> you guys do a whole conversation about how we've built stuff to fail over the past 30 40 50 years so that you can so you have recurring revenue like a lot of stuff is built this to these days not to last to last for the right amount of time right we'll give you a 10-year warranty because we only want it to last 10 years right you have a 20 year like how much do you see it, even even with a lifetime warranty, I mean that stuff's always like you know, get in the in the in the fine print, fine print, and it's not really like it's a yeah. lifetime on something that actually shouldn't fail or it's so so minimal. Doesn't matter, you know. It's so ma- it's it costs so much, you might as well replace it anyways. But it's just interesting. Like some of these techniques were they lost? They were lost a because you know people thought we were being innovative, and also too, it's the it's the capitalism. I can make something that lasts long enough for people to be happy. But you want to have a repeat customer. You want to have, a re- and, and that's like that's a catch twenty two. So I mean, I feel like if we could go, I could go down as a ver- wormhole of, of the studies and the because uh, I got really obsessed with that at one point a couple years ago because I was like I, I can't remember I was fr- I was frustrated with something and I remember I like I read a couple uh, posts on it. I talked to some people, some experts, you know, about this stuff and. It was like I got way too. And my wife's like, "Why are you so obsessed?" I was like, "Because I feel like everything's made to break. That's why." Yeah. Why, why does your phone slow down after two years? The light bulbs last six months. The old ones last, you know, sixty years. Yeah. yeah. It's it's an interesting space. I mean, our our take on it though, 
is housing needs to be, I mean, foundationally, if you want to change society, housing is a, a really good place to start. So you look at all these, um, you know, financial and economic trends. I mean, two thirds of the United States, their, their entire wealth is in their home. Mm-hmm. So there's no cash in the bank. You've heard all the stats that people have, you know, 30 days of cash or whatever it is. Um, it, it, the majority of Americans, their, their, their entire, uh, value, uh, is in their, their home itself. And, and fewer Americans can own homes than ever before. I mean, the median price of a home is over $450,000 right now, which is tons of money. Right. Um, so if we can, if we can shake that and give people homes that they can be proud of, um, that are extremely desirable, um, you know, and, and you can do it at scale, uh, without, without requiring labor that doesn't exist, right? This is a very rough uh, labor market mm-hmm. um, without damaging the environment. A third of environmental waste comes from the construction industry. Um, and, and again, you, you can do something with these materials that can last a long time, that can be changed over time if necessary. Um, and that's, dude, I mean, that's where I get fired up. I'm like, we, we got to get out of this weird consumerism hamster wheel where we're kind of buying little things over time and just bleeding ourselves dry have a solid foundation and then go from there and do what you want and that's to me that's that's how you give people true freedom it is uh, you know it starts with probably the biggest thing you invest in which is your home for sure now i know you're still in the early innings here chris but i'm curious to understand like if cole wanted a home through your company and i wanted a home would we be getting identically like the the same type of square footage or is there any type of thinking back to a few minutes ago personalization or customization between you know customer a versus customer b yeah i mean that's that's the beauty i mean these machines can build you know once the machine's on site it can build whatever you want so um you know the the i think third most trending thing on mid journey the ai uh site is is ai architecture okay so you're going to see stuff where you go in and you're like, man, I love, you know, you're, you're inspired, you're a Game of Thrones fan. I want a Game of Thrones <laughs> uh, inspired home yep. that uh, is, is, you know, this big and, uh, and, you know, whatever other keywords. And you're going to get something that's spit out and it's going to be for you. Um, now, that's not going to happen tomorrow, right? Sure. But ultimately, that's, that's what you can do um, and play around. I don't know if you guys are have gone down the rabbit hole of mid journey or dolly or any of that yet, but you can, you can get lost in like, man, what if the Jetsons and, and uh, you know, game of Thrones and this, uh, you know, and, and Hogwarts all got together. Like what would that look like? And they'll, <laughs> it'll throw some, you know, house together that you know, somehow fits in these things. That's um, so fascinating. I, I've dabbled around a little bit with Dolly. Um, and yeah. that's all AI, right? I believe. And yep. is that owned by, yep. is it open source, I think, or open a- API, it's which open is a- chat, open AI, CP. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, yeah. I was, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of like <clears throat> putting my, my sales hat on here. Cause I, I, I mean, I, I love sales. I love everything about interacting with consumers and, and that part of it. And, um, you know, what I'm thinking, like one of your value adds that it's different because I feel like I feel like what you're going to struggle with a little bit until you until you get the chance to explain it is like, well, manufactured homes, they already do that. And you're not a, you're not manufactured homes like there's a there's a space 
for manufactured homes. I actually worked with a guy down in Alabama. That's what they do is they manu- they wanted to manufacture mansions or million dollar homes, right? So typically you yeah. had manufactured homes that were like two fifty to four hundred thousand dollar homes. They had basically the same footprint, and and the goal of that was that you could run them through an assembly line and build a ton at a time, right? That's what manuf- That's what the benefit of manufactured homes, but you lost a lot of that customization to an extent because a manufacturing home manufacturing plant was all about, you know, just like most manufacturing is, you know, like this, right? They want an assembly line. They want to make the same amount of parts or the same stuff. And what I think is super interesting about what you guys are doing is that that 3D, the, the printing and the robotics part of it is what allows you guys to be custom because you can, you can do it. You can basically say, Hey, you know, we can, we can build you something that's going to last going to be this and that, but it's the customization part that really excites me what you guys are doing, that you can do something that's leading edge. That's, that's cutting down on labor needs It's doing, it's using these new materials uh, and it's, custom like that's what's really cool about it yeah that's building outside the box that's you know that that when when we started thinking about this and looking at where the world's supposed to be today you know based on uh people's predictions you know 50 years ago Mm -hmm. um and where it's going tomorrow it's not boxy living i mean nature doesn't have boxes right right we have curves we have things that you can't build in a factory or you you can build on site with only master craftsmen that are fewer and fewer and extremely expensive all of a sudden that's table stakes like you set a machine and you want something that perfectly flows with the environment in, in which you build it's it's done yeah i um, love it i love it you know it's 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 uh, it, it's going to redefine the industry it's a new category of housing it's like you know you you we want to make a house that if you spend you know 200 or 300 thousand dollars on a house uh, people who spent two million on theirs are jealous and going, why? You know, just like when Tesla came out, that's what they did, right? They had sixty, seventy thousand dollar cars that the folks with the hundred twenty, hundred thirty thousand uh, dollar, you know, high end German cars are going, oh, what? Why am I driving this? You know, why don't I get one of those? Uh, same thing is going to happen in housing. To simplify, what I'm hearing you say is you're here to shake up the housing industry. We are. Amen. I like that a lot. That's awesome. That's a, that's a huge problem to tackle. And that that's awesome that someone such as yourselves and, you know, who you surround yourselves with, they're trying to tackle, uh, and make housing more affordable and also just come up with new and innovative ways to mass scale those solutions. I got yeah. one more question about that too. Um, so, cause I'm thinking about, you know, five years from now, you know, let's, you know, you go, let's say you go, you know, you go through your funding, you start getting set up. Um, my question to you is, and for our listeners, cause I'm very interested in what you're doing. I think this is, this is sweet. We could, again, we could probably go on and on and on. We'll have to link up outside of this. My question is like how, so let's say you go through funding. How long is it going to take you to get this machine built? Um, this, or this set of, I don't, I don't know if it's one machine or if it's different, it's different. You probably, you know, maybe it's a, it's a, you know, a few machines and a grouping. I don't know what it is, but how long is that going to take? And then when are you going to be able to actually start? And, and I and understanding like that you might have some hiccups along the way, but like when you get this thing, like when you launch and actually have your machines built and after funding, how long is that going to take? And then how long do you expect if everything goes according to plan, once you get to the finish line, knowing things could change, how long will it take a machine to build a 2000 square foot house? Do you know? I mean, maybe it's just a guess. Yeah, yeah. 
Absolutely. So um, the the machine itself, you know, we basically broke off a year, said, you know, a year to make that first machine. It's going to version out over time. Our, you know, the key to our business model is uh, build autonomy over time. So we can build 30% of a house with the first iteration mm -hmm. up to 95% of the house with the final iteration, you know, fully autonomous. Mm -hmm. um, but that first machine will roll off within a year. Um, our, our machines designed to be built at scale. So my, my um, engineers come from the automotive world. They are the folks who, you know, it's, it's really easy. Um, and this is like an engineering thing that I've learned. Uh, I'll say it like I've known this my whole life. <laughs> it's really easy to design something to be built once, mm -hmm. right? Like you can design the craziest car and build it one time. That's not actually that hard. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to design something that can be repeatedly built mm -hmm. thousands of times. And so that's the key of finding the right group of builders for this and getting us away from more of the, hey, let's take ideas out of Chris's head and throw it on a chalkboard and, and make that happen. This is much more of a, hey, let's go through a true engineering design process to get this at scale. So that's that's where we come in, how we get this to market so we can, we can scale this thing up, is that we can build machines and then build more and more and more of those machines over time. And that's our business model. We're a machine maker at the end of the day. Um, that's the foundation. Um, as far as then how, how long it takes, uh, we want to have houses that are built in, in 30 to 45 days. Okay. Our initial houses will take about uh, three months to build, mm -hmm. which is still a third. It's nine nine months is the average time to build. A right, that's what I was kind of uh, nine nine to so twelve months. Ours yeah. will be three. Okay, and our our machine will be on the site for about a week. Um, that, that's how quickly the actual like our piece of it goes. So it's just then handing it off and making sure everyone else gets their stuff done. That's awesome. Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm, really I'm, I'm thinking ahead because I, my, I build my next house. I'm, I'm just trying to time it out, yeah. so I can use, so I can use the machine. Yeah, that'd be cool. Think about if I could be the yeah. first house, dude. We gotta, you know, time it out the first house you build. I could be like your beta customer when I get like a discount. <laughs> <laughs> That's the true salesman right there, already working. The other, the other side of Ohio has a uh, has has a bit of a uh, a bookmark in the first. Uh, the first home, so we, we do have a commitment, but uh, but absolutely, yeah, we'll take the LOI. I'll arm wrestle prefer, them for it. <laughs> for uh, blocks of homes at a time, though. So if you want to build like you know fifty, then then certainly. <laughs> so tying in a previous episode that Cole and I had um, with Scott in terms of, uh, and feel free not to answer this, but raising capital, like are you? Yeah, how are you approaching that? Are you doing like any type of uh, Kickstarter type of campaign, like where people? Because it sounds like people are definitely interested in your service or your products here. Like, could a potential customer go out and say, "Hey, I want to, you know, make a down payment, and I want you to, yeah, build my house, you know, six months from now, one year from now." How's that all shaking out? Yeah. So the initial the initial uh, fundraise will be much more traditional. So I've learned, I think one of the biggest things from raising money um, that I've learned and, and, and learned it through, through the scars uh, is, is not all the dollars to create equal mm -hmm. and to make sure that we have the right partner or partners early on. Um, you know, and this is a, this is a more recent lesson because I've been kind of the, uh, let's say the blind squirrel who just has lucked into a lot of things that worked out really well um, throughout my life. And, and when I had to raise money for the first time, 
more like real money, like millions. Mm-hmm. Um, it it seemed like, gosh, somebody's going to give me a million dollars. Yes, like uh, yeah, I like to just take the money. Um, and and you realize that the the dollars, the hand that the dollars are attached to, matters uh, more than anything else. And um, so that's that's really important for us is making sure that we have the right partners who. We have a grand vision. This is not a this is not like a Midwestern company, right? You see so many companies here, and I think a lot of investors expect this of like we'll get to twenty million dollars in revenue. Mm-hmm. Like that's great. You know, we've got a market and it's like this big. Like this is a six and a half trillion dollar global market. Mm. Six and a half trillion. This thing grows annually by more than most market sizes. Like, wow. you know, the, the CAGR mm-hmm. is is that big. Um so it's 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 a big vision. We need the we need the right folks uh, to support it and then to guide us. It's hardware. Hardware's uh, certainly hardware you know, expensive hard. and, and confusing, right? Yeah, yeah. But you know, we try to de-risk it with the team, uh, with the, with the right vision and and with the right model. So I'm I'm excited uh, to to do this and and to kind of take the lessons from you know, I've had my past and take them to market. So how much are you guys raising for your, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be a pre, this is a, I'd, I'd call it a pre-seed seed. It, it kind of sounds like a, a, a mixture of both. I mean, more pre-seed than anything. Um, just cause you haven't developed yet. Yeah. How much are you guys raising? Between three and five. Okay. So we don't, we don't, that, that's why we haven't gone to market yet. Um, we're still working kind of tweaks on the, on the economic model. But mm-hmm. as soon as that's kind of well, well beat up, um, then we, then we go to market and well, I think, see how the market receives it. I think you hit the nail on the head is, is you're focusing, you know, you you de-risked a lot of it. I mean, risk is risk. There's always risk, but the goal is when you're going out and seeking capital too, is you want to de-risk your investment as much as possible by taking your time by, like you said, I love that you hit the team, right? Having the right team is, is de-risking, right? The people with the experience that know what they're talking about you know, having them in the right roles and being a part of that's huge. And then obviously, like you said, you know, the investors, you don't want to just go take money from anybody. You know, you want to have strategic investors that understand what you're trying to do and are willing to, you know, go the extra mile or go on the journey with you versus just hand you money to get money out. Yep. Yep. You got it. I think uh, we... Are we getting wrap close things up with some quick hitters. Yeah, I want to respect Chris's time, and we were definitely uh, late today. That was my fault. Apologies. <laughs> but uh, before we do sign off uh, for today, uh, Chris, we do want to just ask a couple of more maybe, uh, I don't know, personal questions or not necessarily business-related questions. Um, and this is one that we ask a lot of our guests. What is one piece of advice you would give your younger self and then a piece of advice you'd like to give to your future self? Um, younger self, I, you know, you always fantasize about this. I wish I would have invested in this thing or that thing. <laughs> um, so now if I could go back to the future, that would be it. Um, honestly, I, you know, the, the dollars not being created equal, that, that was a huge learning experience for me. Mm. Um, I, I spent a lot of the time in my life, um, on, on this most recent startup where, you know, there probably wasn't the right alignment um, early on with, with, with dollars in and in the vision. So I'd love to go back and tell myself, uh, tell myself that um, what was the future? So what was the second part of it? I'm sorry. Yeah. And then what, what piece of advice would you give to your future self? Whew. Yeah. I mean, 
we'll, we'll, we'll see how things, uh, we'll see how things end up. But, um, I think just ho- hoping that my future self has the energy and the drive and in, in that, you know, I think, I think it's really important not to let the world wear you down, mm. um, and to make sure that you can stay sharp and focused. And I see, I see folks who, you know, uh, 10, 15 years down the road, they just don't have that same, like, like push to them, that same fight. I hope I never lose a fight. Like, I hope I'm like the old man who's just kind of weirdly intense. You know? <laughs> hey, I just was thinking of my dad when he said that. So we had, uh, my dad is, is I, I'm, I am I'm dragging us out a bit, but when you said that, so my, my dad is a role model of mine. Like I, I love him. I have a close relationship with him. We actually had him on the show. So he's been a lifetime entrepreneur. Uh, he's run multiple successful businesses. Um, and it's been a huge inspiration to me. And he literally, he, he's, he's almost, 60 i think 60 or 61 now and he literally gets in when he gets like going or right isn't he hayden i mean he's like a 25 year old with an idea like he's like it's like it's his first relentless is the word that comes to mind relentless like relentlessly passionate when he gets going his face starts getting red he's 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 like needs to drink well i mean like (laughs) that same kind of energy that you'd see you know so at, you see out of me like i'm like okay i'm like that when i get excited i'm energetic and i'm like that and i'm like i always say like if there's one thing i admire and i always told my you know i've told my wife this and i've told my daughters this and and i things i've shared and one thing that always stuck with me is every day i'd wake up and he was never upset about going to work he was never sad he was excited excited about what yeah. the day had to come and like that's what i hear you wanting you saying is like I don't in 20, 25 years from now, I want to be just as excited. I don't want to lose that fire. And I and I love I love that message. I love that goal. Yep. hundred percent. Gotta beat the sun up every morning. Yep. If if uh if the old sun gets up before you do, then oh you got a late start to the day. You got to <laughs> do you have another um, quick- I was just gonna say, um, you know, I heard that I heard that you, you know, we've talked about this. You've got three children and I'm sure a beautiful yeah. wife. Uh, so my question to you is how, how important is it for your children to see you chasing your dreams as an entrepreneur? And and it, even even with that, that goal of waking up excited and, get, and being fired up, like how how important is that? And how are you teaching your children to do that? Um, it's, it's certainly important. I mean, for, for me, it's showing them that there aren't limitations. Mm-hmm. You know, we set our own limitations in life. So make sure you don't set limitations for yourself because no one else really is. It looks like there might be limitations out there, but you'd be surprised. Um, and I think that might get my son in trouble a little bit. <laughs> hey, there aren't limitations. Okay. Well, artificially there are limitations while you're at school. Okay. Right. We're right. picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, uh, certainly I, I think, um, that's important and I think being inclusive. So one of the things I've, um, tried to really research and look into is, you know, how, how are like successful kids raised, you know, and there's all kinds of crazy theories out there from kind of like, let them go, throw them to the the wolves and, and the ones that come out great are great. And the ones that don't are kind of the exact opposite. Um, and I think one of the things I've taken away though, is include them, like be very inclusive. So when you're having conversations, when I have people over business associates, or we host dinners, let's make sure they're at the table. They can observe that, understand how 
people are interacting, what these conversations are. And maybe they can't be a part of that. I mean, they're six, four, and nine months right now, mm-hmm. but they can start to to see and hear that and understand, mm-hmm. oh, hey, like they're talking like this. And this is how people do these things. So I do think that kind of inclusivity, cutting down those age barriers will hopefully give them confidence. And I, I love, I mean, a quick little dad story. Yes, here. I, like, I love dad kids, stories. Yeah, my, my kids. Uh, so our... We're, we kind of like limit the screen time mm-hmm. type of thing, right? And so it's really special. We watch like F1 racing and uh, Buckeyes and Bengals football. Like that's kind of, so when the TV's on, it's like a special, like, oh, we're together, like doing this thing, right? And uh, so my kids like know F1 racing. And F1, I don't know if you guys are into oh, it. Oh, yeah. There's, there's like some technicality. Like it's it's not the most straightforward thing in the world. There's a lot of the nuances. Mm-hmm. And I... I always host like a first race get together with just some of my friends who are really in F1. Like the people that don't talk during the race, just kind of observe (laughs) and discuss, you know? And my son was, was like telling somebody uh, what Lewis Hamilton's problems were during one of the races last year. And they're like, there's this, at the time it was five, this five-year-old kid, like explaining the problems with his car setup at a race. And it was like, and he had no problems. He wasn't like, oh, it's just, it's slow. He's like, well, they, they didn't get the right, you know, arrow package on. And the porpoising is really, you know, costing him on these straights. And the guy's like, what the hell is wrong? You know? like, but I just want him to be confident to, to be, say those things, yeah. and observe and understand at that level. And you can't expect that he doesn't just because of his age. Oh, it's, you know? it's just the beauty of, uh, and I, I just love that message. You know, a great way to, to wrap up this episode because, I mean, I love dad stories. I tell dad stories on here all the time. And like for me, you know, one of the things I've always I've always said is the same thing to you is is like be inclusive. Like there's there's things as like our do- our oldest is nine. So as she's getting older, there's some things that like when she's five or six, like she could have been around but not really got. And now you start seeing her like, you know, she's listening more and she's being more attentive to like, oh, they're talking about this that happened on the news. And like, okay, we can't write that. So there's that. But what I love is when you hear your children that you've included them in those high level conversations or environments and they're talking confidently with somebody else because they were listening and get, and like, think about how more, how much a that's helping their brain development by learning about things that are way more complex than just like, Hey, let's go do our ABCs. Right. Well, they're learning through action. Is yeah. What I'm hearing you guys describe. It's awesome. You can tell a kid to go do X, Y, and Z, but if they're actually watching mom and dad do it, that means a whole lot yeah. more. Yeah. Super cool, man. So, I mean, I, I could throw a bunch more at you, but I know we're, we're wrapping up. So, Chris, do you have any more uh, last things you want to say before we wrap it up for the day? No, I appreciate your guys' time. And this is really cool. Hopefully, uh, next time I'm in Cincinnati, maybe grab a drink or something. Dude, you know? let's, let's do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Let's do it, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Listeners, once again, uh, we appreciate you tuning in, checking out. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with Chris. He's got a lot of exciting stuff going on. Chris, hopefully when you guys are, uh, maybe after you get through your fundraising around and start getting into manufacturing, we'll have you back on to share some updates. You'll have to come to my place and see the machine in action. Oh, I'm in. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm, book- I'm booking my trip already. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much, Chris. Thanks for jumping on. Appreciate it, man. Cheers. See ya. God bless.